The date is Friday, June 19th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. On this episode, Nick takes us into the strange world of control, explaining all of the hidden symbolism and what it really means to be in control. Enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Entertain This. Entertain This. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. And this week, we are greeted with a very special guest who is currently joining us uh, from a remote location to uh, get involved with the podcast, and he's going to be giving some commentary, but more importantly... He is going to be featured in this week's Quick This, um, and it's Lil Ice on the track. What up? <laughs> Lil Ice on the track. So we'll have to take care that. of his audio. He is a very energetic young man. Um, he's got a couple of pretty, uh, I think, pretty good, pretty solid, pretty fire singles on YouTube. That, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that we yeah. all really enjoy, and we're happy to have him on the show. Lil Ice, how old are you? I'm 15 years old. He is 15. He is a rapper, uh, and he will be giving commentary with us today. Uh, and as I said, we will be featuring him in our Quick This this week. But this is not my week to host, so I will now relinquish control to Nick. Hey, you said it. Hey, you like that? <laughs> yeah. Real quick, though, I've got a quick interjection. Cracking open a cold one. Yeah. Crack open a cold one with the boys. Now I want an L8. <laughs> so let's start off with a uh, rhetorical question how would you define the word control it's a good thing it's a rhetorical question where you're not expecting an answer <laughs> i think you you would Almost define control in a sense of how a a painting is more defined by its negative space. Like the lack thereof control is really what defines what control is. Because without not being in control, there's no use for control. How do you like that? It's pretty good. You like that? Um there's no real good definition or a good segue into this game, but I will ask an actual question that I do want an answer to. In your opinion, what should be controlled? Um, what should be controlled? Mm. Rules, laws, uh, things that abide by, you know, specifics. So in other words, mankind has to be controlled. I'm a subscriber to chaos theory. Um, so basically, my belief is the more you try to control something, the more you force an unruly outcome. Um, basically, I believe nothing should be controlled and everything should just be left up to the domino effect that's been going on since the beginning of time. So that's, that's my answer. My answer is I don't think anything should really be too controlled. Uh, I think that naturally mm. we're drawn to... Uh, the better outcomes like i think that if society were to crumble humanity would continue on yeah without a doubt i agree with you on that end but 
maybe maybe after this podcast you'll start thinking a little differently about the word control and what things ought to be controlled in this chaotic universe as you said so let's think back let's take a trip back in the time capsule here to the disney versus universal uh pair of episodes that we released i said and i quote i don't like thrill rides or haunted houses or anything like that this rule interestingly enough does not apply to video games so Go ahead and call me a hypocrite if you want to, but I'd prefer to avoid the hardcore horror genre altogether, games like uh, Amnesia, The Dark Descent, or mm. Slenderman. Um, but some of my favorite games are those that have the elements of the horror genre combined with a little bit of action role-playing. Uh, Bioshock is a good example of this. It has mm-hmm. creepy elements, but usually it just comes off as downright unsettling, you know? Right, for sure. But I'd argue it's only really in these creepy games that you can pack so much meaning and symbolism and metaphors into a singular game disc. You have games like Animal Crossing, not the start of Flame War here, but that will lull you into a sense of security over the cuteness. And you really have to search for deeper meanings, like the, the hamster realizing that maybe he's not a human and he gets freaked out about it. Uh, but that's, I'm not saying that you should search all your games for deeper meanings when you play them, because that's... <laughs> It's frankly just exhausting. Sometimes it's nice to just sit and play a chill game on a Sunday afternoon and you know, switch off the old noggin for a while. It's games like Bioshock that hit you over the head with a massive subject matter like blatant political rhetoric or anything else like psychology or philosophy. They peel back the eyelid on your critical thinking lens on your brain and make you look at these uncomfortable truths and subjects such as psychology and philosophy. It's as if you're forced into thinking about the game in a deeper way, when you really weren't even expecting it. And at a base level, games, video games, are a form of entertainment. But every so often, one comes along that changes the way you think about things, which I think is extremely powerful. So as I said, I'm here to talk about Control, the game, sure. in, in, uh, in parentheses there. <laughs> it's not a key on your keyboard, it's not, you know... Not a, just a word that exists out there, but they couldn't have picked a, a worse name for uh, keywording, come to think of it. But it's <laughs> labeled as a third-person Metroidvania action-adventure game. So if that description isn't enough, it's my goal within this podcast to kind of persuade you to give that game a try. Half of the words you just said don't mean anything <laughs> to me. I feel like I've got a good enough sense of what the game is based off that, but... Also, those, all of those genres you listed can mean so many different things, depending on the context. They can. It's, it's open world, but it's also level-based. So it's, I don't know. You, you play the game, right, Michael? No. No? No. You, you know about it. Well, I know the concept of a Metroidvania, okay. which is like isolated levels that are meant to be fully explored yes. as you uh, gain powers and abilities that allow you to transverse the level or the world. Uh, throughout the process of playing the game. Yes. Nailed it. Interesting. That's, that's usually the most confusing one for a lot of people. It's based off of like traditional Metroid games and the old Castlevania games because they're both follow a similar pattern. It's a portmanteau of those two words. Yep. And so Metroidvania. There you yeah. go. Okay. That's a pretty good definition. It doesn't specifically mean games about aliens and vampires. <laughs> it can. It can. Maybe both. It doesn't mean one song that's played in Undertale, which is Megalovania. No. Right. <laughs> it's a banger, though. So, 
<laughs> so I've never played or heard of or watched Let's Plays. This is honestly you talking about is the first that I've ever heard of this game control. I'm completely blind to it. That means that means I get to set the stage and shape your opinions. I have all the control here. <laughs> Lil Ice, have you ever heard of or played Control? I've played Metroid. Well, there you that's go. a there start. You go. That's, that sounds like a step further than I have made it into this. <laughs> I, you know, I used to collect old video games, like, as old as Atari. I still have my Atari, Ooh. and I have played just about all of the classic Nintendo games, Sega games. I used to have nearly all of the, uh, you know, the ones that you've heard of. Mm -hmm. Metroid is an absolute classic. So it takes, yeah, absolutely. does it take, does Control take things from Metroid and build off of them? Is that like a stepping stone to what Control became? Well, so it's, it's, the relationship is more so the, uh, overarching structure. Yeah. Like yeah. The, some of the gameplay elements, not necessarily like story beats or themes. Yeah. It's, this isn't like a system shock to Bioshock type of thing. It's just yeah. like, this is a genre of games that exists and many other games have been based off that particular structure so mm -hmm. okay i don't know if that clears things up Does it actually yeah it clears <laughs> it up pretty good for me okay. i now have a little bit to jump off of a little there noggin diving board so that's pretty much what you guys know about it which is nothing mm -hmm. <laughs> right is that safe to say i've seen that's trailers yeah it's pretty safe that's okay. about as far as i've got okay so this game you take control of a character by the name of jesse faden um her stated purpose is to find her brother who's been taken by the government years ago. So right off the bat, you've got a primary objective. Uh, part of the reason why I like this piece of electronic media once again is man and machine working together. This is a different machine, though. This is a machine made of men. It's the United States government, which immediately struck my interest, too. Uh, politics interests me, as you might have already known. Uh, but yeah, I think that's where we're going to stop the politics discussion. <laughs> it's probably smart so we don't get flamed but this game doesn't begin by letting you settle in it's an unsettling experience from the very first frame the camera pans from the top of this brutalist concrete block of a building down to the normal new york city street outside with people going about their days and driving and staring at their phones and such this is the federal borough of control and i think the architecture lends itself to the telling of this story and just because I can't help myself, here are some cocktail party fun facts about brutalism, the architectural style. It's much like a certain college campus that we've all been to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as soon as I tell you these features, you're going to be like, yep, yep, 100%. But there's lots of concrete. There's no decoration, and it's more or less monochrome, uh, meaning one color. It's meant to look oppressive and staunch. I think it's fine to go ahead and mention that we're talking about Northern Kentucky University. Um, <gasps> for people, people if they, if they want to look up for the little visual, you can just Google yeah. their campus and take a look at it. It's not, it's not private knowledge. They're not a trademark company. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Um, look it up, and that'll kind of set the scene for you. Or alternatively, you can look up pictures of uh, you know, University of Cincinnati's Crossley Tower. That is a great example of brutalism. Um, but this is not done. This decision to make the building brutalist is done for a lot of reasons, right? Um, concrete can be broken off by Jesse's telekinetic powers and thrown at enemies. Hmm. And that feels really good to do. Uh, but buildings of this style are almost made to look like fortresses. 
And in many ways, they were, because concrete is very strong. There's a reason why they use it for bunkers. Uh, it came out of the 50s, this kind of era of mutually assured destruction and nuclear war. It's a serious threat. They needed some way to preserve governmental institutions and institution, institutions in general, like you know colleges, in the wake of all this. And it's also very cheap to pour concrete and cast it and then just call it a day, which is crucial for re rebuilding of post-World War II Britain, which is where this architecture was popularized to begin with. So they basically said, oh, you want a, you want a place to live? Your, your, uh, your place got blown up by the Nazis? Okay, great. Here's a concrete block with the bare minimum. It's got walls and a roof. Go have fun with it. That's pretty much what brutalism is. But anyways, as the camera starts making its way down to street level, descending down this concrete block of a skyscraper, Jessie begins by talking to herself, and I'll paraphrase what she says. This is going to be weirder than normal. Can't help it. You called me here, so here I am. It's like we live in a room and there's a poster on the wall. We stare at it and we think that's the whole world, the room and the poster. It's all a lie, something to distract from the truth. There's a hole hidden behind that poster that leads to the real world. Sometimes something crawls out from behind the poster. And I thought she was talking about, to me, directly, to fill me in on the details of what's going on in her life. But actually, this is somebody, something, some being within her head known as Polaris, uh, which is a possible reference to the North Star by the same name, used for navigation and stuff like that. And it's just a little, you know, interesting... Interesting tongue-in-cheek reference to the real world. But this calls into question the role of the player within the story. What is, what is my role as the player to this character? And that's really never answered. But whenever Polaris speaks to her, there's a blue fractal spinning overlay on the screen, just so it's clear. Polaris has contacted her every so often, um, but around September and October of 2019, which is when this game came out, it becomes more and more often and it eventually leads her to travel to New York City where she finds this Federal Borough of Control, um, otherwise known as the Oldest House. Oldest House, Federal Borough of Control. One's a governmental organization that lives inside the Oldest House. Um, and the Oldest House isn't really a building to begin with. It's a... Uh, I think we'll get to that later, but... It's a building, and it's also not a building. So, <laughs> the first of many confusions. Is there a comparison that can be made to that Will Ferrell movie, like, Stranger Than Fiction, about the relationship between, like, the player and the character and, like, the writer and the character in that movie? I don't know what you're talking about, but... Yeah, you, never heard, really. you never heard of Stranger Than Fiction? No. Oh, yeah, the character, like, I love that movie. becomes conscious... Yeah, the character becomes conscious that they're in a story. Um, and, like, the writer is also in the universe. And so mm. the character sets out to, like, find the writer because the writer always writes like their characters into the grave, like kills their characters at the end of the story. There is a certain relationship that's called into to effect, which is what is the player's relationship to the character, which is, you know, as you say, interesting. Now, once you're inside this building, it's the last time you see the outside world in the game. Like, the entire game, that's the last time you're outside. 
Uh, to borrow a word from you, Alex, it's interesting to note that you cannot control the character when she's outside of the building. She just walks in on her own free will. And you can't go back out either. You're now part of this building whether you like it or not. And now I'm going to go into some very minor spoilers. So if you don't want to know anything more about the game, uh, this is your time to uh, get, off the, get off the bus, get off the hype train. Once you're inside the building, there's no one around. It's another kind of unsettling moment in the game. Surely someone within this government building, although I wonder sometimes if anyone actually works in the entire government, is, is around. But there aren't any security guards here. Jesse just waltzes in like she owns the place. And you're walking around a while, you're kind of exploring this, this, this government building that you're in. You bump into one person, eventually. Uh, it's a Finnish janitor by the name of Ati, who speaks with a very thick accent, a very thick Finnish accent, so he's kind of hard to understand. There's subtitles to help you along. But he tells you to head upstairs for your interview. You aren't here for a job, though, or so you think. So you go up the elevator, you find your way to the uh, director's office. He's the, he's the head honcho of the Federal Bureau of Control. And he looks at you as soon as you walk in with kind of like this glassed over look in his eyes. And he takes a gun and lethally shoots himself in the head. At this point, you're like, what the actual frick just happened? <laughs> so the next natural thing you do is obviously you go over and take the dead man's gun. Because you never know when you might need it. This is, you know, the United States of America, after say, all. You think this is America? <laughs> yeah, it very much is. Stay armed. You got to have that thang on you. You know what I'm saying? Got to keep that thang uh, on you. <laughs> Stay strapped. Stay strapped. <laughs> See, I got urban in me. We're good. Um, this is not a normal firearm, though. It's made up of these black morphing and shifting cubes that kind of shift around every so often. This is called the service weapon, which is an object of power or uh, a supernatural thing with otherworldly powers bonded to it that only the director may wield. That's also a gun? Uh, yeah. It shoots projectiles <laughs> at its, you know, muzzle end. Because it did just kill a guy. It did just kill a guy. It's, okay. For, for all intents and purposes, this is a gun, okay? Just like a judge might have a gavel, the directors have the service weapon. Only these people may wield special objects with any level of power. So the service weapon, just to get into a little bit more about it, it's, it can morph into a, a pistol, a machine gun, a sniper, or a shotgun, depending on you know, what you want it to be. You can set up just kind of based on your, your play style, whether you're like long range, short range, anything in between. Um, so as soon as you grab this thing, the, you go to this, this realm, the astral plane, as it's called. It's pure white all around you. And uh, you're standing on this black kind of shifting cube, kind of like the, uh, the service weapon that you held before. And you see this giant upside-down black pyramid in the distance. This is the board. This pyramid is called the board. Uh, he speaks to you. He, or this being, speaks to you. Uh, and maybe this pyramid shape is to represent the Illuminati, but who am I to say, once again... It sounds like a muffled voice, like somebody has a piece of duct tape over their mouth or something like that, uh, and you're really not sure what, what they're trying to say to you. And the subtitles reveal these, these words, these phrases that are separated by backslashes. So maybe there's like some disagreement. There's these beings within the pyramid that are disagreeing with each other, and you're left to choose between you know, what they're actually trying to say to you. But the board is who selects the new director, and the board has selected Jesse because she's picked up the service weapon, and she's the new director, whether she likes it or not. So it's Santa Claus rules. 
Exactly. <laughs> Santa Claus rules. <laughs> like, how did Tim Allen become the next Santa Claus? Because Santa it's died Santa. in front of him, and he put on the pants. <laughs> he put on the pants. There you go. <laughs> Interesting. I like that. Yeah. Um, the board says you slash we wield the gun slash you. The board appoints you. Congratulations, director. And it, of course, it sounds like <laughs> I can't really do a good well, like super either. alien. Like it's just weird sounding. Uh, it sounds like you really can't. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> it's actually Isabel from. <laughs> Lordy, here we go. But as you just to explain the rules here, astral plane is not a physical place, as you might have already guessed by the name astral plane. But it's within your noggin, you know, within your mind that you go there. So after that, after you complete this ritual, you you find out the controls to use the weapon and all that. You kill a couple of like imaginary astral plane bad guys um, that are like ghostly, shadowy figures that you just shoot at. It's a little creepy. Hmm. This entire game is a little creepy. I'm going to say that multiple times this, tonight. But uh, after that, the game introduces you to the primary enemy. Once you've completed the binding ritual, you walk out of the office, and there's this intense red glow covering the entire room, with three people limply floating midair down the hall. This is another what-the-fuck moment in the game, and I love it when games throw you a curveball like this. This red glow, this is, this is what is known as the hiss. It's a multidimensional resonance-based life form, uh, as you find out later in the game. But it's possessing everyone around the building and spreading rampant. Most of the people you see that have been possessed by the Hiss are chilling in midair like the boys I mentioned before, with their chest arched upwards and they're glowing red while emitting these disembodied voices that all speak as one, saying this incantation that's kind of hard to make out at this point. A quick science note about resonance while we're here. It is the... Uh, defined as the reinforcement or prolongation of sound by reflection from a surface or by a synchronous vibration of a neighboring object. Which means uh, the synchronous vibration of a neighboring object is key here because you think of tuning forks like uh, in science class. You ring the middle C one, and then you have another middle C down the hall or something like that, or down the, across the table, and you'll, you'll feel it vibrate just based off this middle C tuning fork over here. It vibrates this one. That's you know, that's resonance in science class. Can I take a guess that there's a reason that you see two floating guys then? There's three. Three? Do they, yeah. like, resonate off each other? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, you could make that argument. Um, but the reason I think it's important to bring this up is because resonance is based on mechanical waves, as in, as in sound, right? Right. Sound mm -hmm. is a key thing here because there's little nods to... Whether it's audio equipment sitting around or these listening antennas, even like the, the bunkers or safe houses within the room, within this oldest house, have this kind of the sharp edges of, a, of, you know, like insulating foam. Obviously, we don't have any in our studio, but <laughs> you know what it looks like, right? Mm -hmm. With the sharp, jagged edges, it's meant to capture and contain sound. Yeah, I think it's, it's important to bring that up. The game's color choices also play well into this theme once again. It's very minimalist, lending, of course, to the, um, to the, to the brutalist architecture. But there's, there's a couple key colors here. There's the color of the Hiss, right, which is red. There's the color of Polaris, 
uh, quick reminder, the being inside of Jesse's head is blue. And then there's sunlight that leaks in through the windows, which is kind of this yellowish orange, you know, like when the sun sets, it's kind of that color. It's important to note that you never actually see the sun, which I think is done on purpose, of course, because um, that's like that big glowing ball in the sky is that's home. You're not within the normal world anymore. You're inside the oldest house. And that's it. Three colors. The rest is all neutral tones of gray or supermuted other colors, which, you know, makes things more important. It's, it's a lot like the stage and waiting for Godot. It's only the things that matter and nothing more. It reminds me a lot of uh, kind of like the portal aesthetic from the mm. Bethesda like portal games. Um, yeah, that's not Bethesda. That's Valve. Ha -ha. Yeah, <laughs> the Valve portal games. Because um, like you said, they have like those three vibrant colors, which yep. are like well, I guess in Portal there are only two, which is the yeah, orange, blue and orange and the blue, um, which show up over and over again in the goo and like the shells like <laughs> uniform and things like that. Even in the eyes of the multiplayer robots, like it's the same two colors. And other than that, it's completely grayscale. But also, um, it's the um, the the kind of focus on the sun being something that you don't get to see. Like something you only see about reflections that, of it, right? Yeah. Something something about that atmosphere. It, it's just like solidarity and like mm -hmm. just loneliness. Yeah, it's that feeling of, of like. Things being trapped mm. trapped yeah mm -hmm. that's that's an interesting word to use yeah also one of my favorite bands from the late 90s <laughs> trapped <laughs> that was obscure the interior of this building is uh largely unchanged since the late 1960s uh <laughs> way before any of us were born uh but it's wood paneling uh you might have seen it in your grandparents houses it's, it's kind of confusing because jesse is here dressed in modern clothes and the date on some reports says 2019 which is when the game was released but there's so many things from the 60s and 70s. There's typewriters, there's tape decks, there's type, you know, there's big clunky machine computers. And you're left to question, what year is it really? You find out this is for a reason, of course. It's not because the oldest house time travels, though some might argue it does. Um, it doesn't, the building doesn't like newer technology. It, it doesn't, it destroys it and makes it malfunction. Um, in rare cases, it can cause harm to the users. And you really don't want a firearm to malfunction when you need it most. And it appears as if most of the security guards are carrying uh, Lewis automatic rifles, which are British machine guns used from the First World War. And you don't have to be a weapons expert to know this because the distinctive pan magazine on top and the tubular co mm. cooling shroud are dead giveaways. Yeah, like all non-gun people would totally know what those words mean. <laughs> The words that you just said made no sense to me. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, well, they have these really old World War I guns. Do, they, do they have, like, wood on them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how I would know. Yeah. <laughs> Any old Joe off the street can tell that this is a World War I rifle due to its circular woozamuts what's-it and the fact that they keep putting balls in it. <laughs> <laughs> not that old. The cutoff date seems to be, like, the 1960s. Anything after that, they're not allowing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew it. Whatever. <laughs> I don't think it's the fact that you knew it that we have a problem with. It's the fact that you're like, everyone knows this. <laughs> everyone knows this. <laughs> but if you, if you remember back to the start of this podcast, before I got called out for knowing firearms, 
I was asked, <laughs> I asked the rhetorical question, what control means. Now I'd like you to think about your rhetorical answer that you didn't say on the mic. Think about a time when you've lost control. Now I've never lost control because it's downloaded on a hard drive. When do you think control was important? Obviously when we're dealing with men and women and mankind in general. So when we say people. People, yes. <laughs> Everyone, everyone in between. Uh, but it happens, right? This, this universe, as you said, Alex, is chaos. Complete chaos. Mm-hmm. And not many things you can control 100%. Maybe a natural disaster happens. Maybe a bee stings you. Maybe, maybe you have a bathroom emergency on your first date with a pretty woman. Shit happens, and there's no way to avoid it. But there is one thing you have control over, and that's this. This, this meat vehicle for your brain, this awesome biological machine 100,000 years in the making. And I wanted to use this time to perhaps answer the question why I go to bed so early. For me, it's a form of self-control. I can't control the weather or how others will treat me, but I can control when I sleep. Most of the time. I, I sometimes fall asleep during D&D games. I realize that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but that's the cornerstone for, for building everything else. And in my head, I'm both Pazo and Lucky master and slave mm. this started back in early childhood when my dad would always wake me up for school at the exact same time every weekday and if i didn't get out of bed i'd give you given that disappointed dad look that i'm sure we've all gotten at one point or another but he established a routine a form of control get up eat cereal get dressed etc i fell away from this in high school and there's a point when everyone's life when you realize hey there aren't parents around to tell me what to do i can use this truth for good or evil and i think it's part of being a high schooler or even a young adult but eventually these series of bad decisions snowballed to a low point which happened to me uh, in between high school and college which was uh, a certain year but i didn't have a job i kind of sat around home play video games all day secretly hoping that the world would end in december as you know it was 2012 Mm. um but i was kind of apathetic about starting college and life in general for that matter but nothing really interested me. And it was just, just, I was just waiting around until something good came around, I guess. But it was kind of meaningless and directionless. And nobody was playing video games with me because they were out, you know, at their jobs and uh, hanging out. And I felt like I had no friends. And partly because I was too lazy to go drive places, but I would tell myself I couldn't for any number of reasons. But in reality, I can do pretty much anything I set my mind to. But I couldn't help but feel stuck. Sometime into my years of of college, I rediscovered the importance of a routine and realized that I have the power to change my immediate surroundings for the better. And you have the most power over yourself when you get to decide when to feel pain or discomfort. Yes, I know exercising hurts, and I know it makes me sore, but I get to decide when I do it or when I don't do it. And this is the importance of control. I wasn't going to allow myself to be stuck like that ever again. And I made this decision to ride the wave of college anxiety rather than they get clobbered by it and i think we all have some kind of inner devil within us and it's up to us to control it sloth is after all one of the seven deadly sins for all you christian boys out there but to sum this up yep. sum this brief personal side story up parthenax and skyrim had this great quote what is better to be born good or to overcome your evil nature through great effort my inner evils are laziness shyness and general selfishness And it's an ongoing battle to this day to keep those negative aspects of me in check because I've caught a glimpse of my life without control and I didn't like it.
And this this segment is called Government Bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to reiterate a quote from Nick earlier in the podcast, we won't get too political. <laughs> but the hiss, right, the main enemy in the game, works a lot like the infectious spread of negative thoughts. You don't realize it's a problem until it's too late. And I can almost relate this to the kind of social media in my brain. I notoriously do not use Facebook to this end, or it turns into this, this kind of intrusive thought like, oh, I have to check Facebook. Oh, I have to check Facebook. And I recognize it's bad for me, so that's why I don't use it. And also because Zuckerberg is a creep, mm, and I do not like him. <laughs> Zuck. Mm. But the hiss might also be a metaphor for man's unending quest for absolute power. My quest for control begins and ends with myself, but what happens when somebody has complete control over others? Enter the Stanford Prison Experiment. Ooh. Yeah. This is something yeah, I know a know lot about. about. Yeah. <laughs> there, is a, there is a killer recreation. It's like a kind of documentary remake of it um, where they kind of give like a movie version of what happened. It's on Netflix, and I would definitely suggest checking it out because it's mm -hmm. a super interesting uh, philosophical question of what happens when someone is given power, which is yeah. uh, super interesting. Yeah, yeah. But the for those of you who don't know, who haven't taken Psychology 101, it was attempted to investigate the psychological effects of perceived power, focusing on the structure, the struggle between prisoners and prison officers. Um, and this has even been brought up recently within the, the George Floyd Black Life Matters um, protests as well. Because um, obviously police officers have a lot of power over us, uh, whether we like it or not. But it's, it was basically taking students and giving them absolute power over these quote-unquote prisoners. And it goes to show, whenever somebody has that much power, it always corrupts, in my opinion. And the government is no exception to this rule either. Because they have so much power as a whole, the FBC's goal is to contain, study, and ultimately gain control over paranatural phenomenon. In other words, that's anything that defies the known laws of physics and reality, which would be huge if the U.S. military had anything like that. So obviously you can see kind of why, why this interest could occur. But they're a morally ambiguous organization, neither wholly good or wholly bad. Um, you can put a D&D &D classification on that, I guess. It's, it'd be neutral, something like that. Mm -hmm. True neutral. True neutral. There we go. Uh, but they're humanity's only line of defense against paranatural phenomenon. And in our world, there are no paranatural occurrences. At least nothing I've seen that's questionable. And maybe that's thanks to the FBC, the Federal Bureau of Control. This game is set so well within the tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy realm that it's hard for, it's, it's important for us to mention this part for the plot. They do so much to help us. Why is the government always the boogeyman or the bad guy? As a disclaimer to all this, most people that work for the government are just there for a paycheck. They're benevolent do-gooders like Leslie Nope of Parks and Rec, or they're one of the game's characters by the name of Langston who's just there for the pension. He really doesn't care about the Burroughs' happenings. This is in stark contrast to the people at the top who wield power for better or for worse. And the government does some pretty fricked up stuff, or at least they did. There's uh, MK Ultra, the mind control program from uh, 1953 to 1964-ish. They put, uh, they're trying to develop a, a truth serum that they could give to enemy agents, enemy spies, to get them to, you know, spill the beans in a way. And they also tested LSD 
on unknowing subjects, which <laughs> didn't go so well, uh, and torture and a whole bunch of other illegal things that they got away with. And then there's Operation Northwoods, the false flag plan, which is basically saying, oh, look, Cuba attacked us. Let's go invade them. Mm -hmm. In reality, it's CIA operatives dressed as Cubans attacking U.S. ships. And there's the entire Vietnam War, for, for instance, which was, you know, it was it's grasping at straws over this Gulf of Tonkin incident, which uh, anyone was sure what really happened, but everyone was so angry at the North Vietnamese just for being communists that, oh, we have a seven-year war now. And even today, unmanned drone strikes continue on foreign soil that kill unarmed civilians. Our government's not, <laughs> not this thing that's uh, a wholly good thing. It, it does help people, and it also hurts people. Uh, some would argue with me, maybe saying that it's not true neutral, but for this particular uh, discussion of this game, you can assume that the FBC is true neutral. Every so often, though, an outside force works its way into a governmental institution like the hiss into the FBC. It doesn't belong, and it throws everything out of whack. And it's hard for me to avoid this comparison of Jesse to Donald Trump, love him or hate him. It's someone from the outside who haphazardly walks into a well-established organization and ends up leading it. Trump wasn't a politician or diplomat. He was a businessman. And Jesse isn't a bureaucrat, but finds herself as director of the FBC. Is it fate? Is it free will? Or is there some larger force at play that causes things like this to happen? And sometimes things happen so fast that you realize, yep, this is my life now. And I can only imagine what Jesse is feeling, you know, some sort of imposter syndrome at this point. As the game progresses, you find out more and more about who Jesse is and how she wound up here at the FBC. Jesse is from a town called Ordinary, Wisconsin. When she and her brother were kids, the brother who you're trying to find, they found a slide projector uh, in a landfill. And this, this slide projector opens up doorways to alternate universes. It is what's called an object of power, kind of like the service weapon we talked about before. This is where Jesse meets Polaris in the first place, this, this being in her head who protects her from these malevolent things within the slides. It's because of Polaris that she is able to resist the hiss. So some crazy stuff happens when they're playing with the projector. One night after Jesse is complaining, adults just don't understand her or believe her that they have this magical slide projector. Every adult in the town vanishes without a trace. The FBC immediately notices this and sends a team comprised of uh, Director Trench, who, who killed himself in the beginning of the game, and Casper Darling, uh, who's the, I think, leader of the, the, uh, the research sector among others, to investigate. This is like their, their prime team. Dylan, her brother, is taken away from her after this AWE happens, this alter world event. And Jesse manages to elude being captured, probably for the best. Objects of power, as I mentioned before, are tied to alter world events. Uh, alter world events are protrusions upon the perceived reality of humans. And they're normally at the center of these, these events. And it's our collective subconscious as humans that make these objects more powerful. So it's items that we come into frequent contact with that are special to us, like the TV, the telephone, a refrigerator, a floppy disk, or a slide projector of, are all objects of power that have manifested themselves in our world. And it's interesting, once again, Alex, that all of these old objects, like the fridge, 
is from the 50s. The floppy disk is an 8-inch floppy, which is like from the 70s. And maybe this is our collective nostalgia in a way, too. Because you have these these old objects that maybe we think fondly upon. Like the old 1950s CRT TV that Grandma used to watch NBC on. Uh, it's just things that, you know, collectively we hold higher than other objects. And I think probably cell phones would be included in that if this game was, you know, looking back on today, made 50 years in the future. It is these objects of power that give her paranatural abilities. So Jessie didn't just come into the FBC with all these paranatural abilities. She can wield these abilities. She just doesn't, doesn't know it yet. But it's within these objects of power that she gets these abilities, like telekinesis and flying. And as I said before, slinging concrete blocks at people with telekinesis. Um, and there's a special phone object of power called the hotline that only directors can answer. And Jessie hears the former director call her. By now, he's long gone. And this is yet another what-the-fuck moment. He's always pictured in full silhouette, usually smoking a cigarette and pacing. He talks to you, but never talks back. It's this strong monologue about himself that he always weaves into the game somehow. Um, just, I think pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But guess what? That's where I'm going to stop discussing the plot. With all that being said, it's time to wildly speculate, which is, I know, one of my favorite activities to do on the show. But what the heck do you think this game is about at its core? What's the core issue here? I would have to go down the road. Of, it, I don't know. It seems it's about fighting. But seems like it's always to no avail. Um, from everything you've described so far, to me it is very much about the inevitability of fighting. Uh, some higher power or some or the circumstances around Alex um I have a kind of one track mind um so I get stuck on an idea and then I just start like nitpicking for evidence to that idea okay but this is what I got um back in World War Two, there was obviously this huge push for propaganda both from the u.s but more importantly from like nazi germany um yep which included like this like comic books like posters magazines movies things like that that they would show to the people of germany to convince the germans like hey we're the good guys like they're yep. the bad guys they shouldn't be coming for us we're the good guys we're doing what we're supposed to do mm -hmm. and it worked for the most part um and all of those people at the end of World War II suddenly overwhelmed with the feeling like, oh man, we're a part of this machine that's actually super bad, um, were left in kind of a daze of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I think that what, what you were talking about, all of those things, and I think what especially stuck to me was like the projector um, mm. and the... Um, the other objects of power that you named could all, at least some of them, maybe not the refrigerator. That's where my theory kind of broke, but um, they could be different ways of the government having control over us by using these different, maybe they're symbols of 
everyday life, like the projector being like the things that were shown and like the uh, mm. the gun just mm. being brute force power. And like these are all the ways that maybe not we find control, but maybe ways that we are controlled into what the government decides is our fate. Um, and I think that that's pretty present just in the storyline of the game with her being forced into this position of director um, and having to go down that path. And it's kind of like, did she ever really have control if from the beginning she found the projector and from there it started? Yeah, but she does have control over this government organization now at the price of her own free will, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Sure. Um, I, of course, know how this game ends, and I'm not going to spoil it, so my lips are sealed. But what I think this game is really about is, like you said before, it's about control. It's about what happens when mankind has control. What happens when we have power over something we shouldn't be messing with in the first place? Whether that's paranatural forces or whether that's... um, Heck, you could even extend it to firearms, you know? Yeah. Should we have mm-hmm. this this thing? Should we have even the power of the nuclear bomb? Should we have control over it, for better or worse? Are we supposed to be messing around with forces that are paranatural to begin with? I mean, you have, like, imagine if we could have this soldier that's also a ghost and could just phase in and out of walls and do whatever it wants and not get shot at and not even be detected in the first place. Can you imagine the espionage capabilities that we could have? I mean, the list goes on, and it's not out of the realm of possibility either that you could have an invisible person come in and out of your house and you wouldn't even know it. It's, <laughs> it's kind of a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory at this point, but so much of this game is based on conspiracy theories that you're, you can't avoid it, frankly. And I'm sure we could spend hours going over, you know, several levels deeper into hitting meetings and metaphors, but this game came out so recently, I think it's important for you, dear listeners, to go and entertain it. If I haven't convinced you thus far out of our metaphysical <laughs> phenomenon discussion, if I haven't convinced you to play, give this game a shot, let me give you some additional background on the company that made this game, Remedy Entertainment. If that name doesn't ring any bells, they made... Alan Wake, Max Payne 1 and 2, among other lesser-known games. Something that I remembered uh, from when I saw some of the trailers and just from general discussions I heard about the game, that it's actually supposed to be set in the same universe as Alan Wake, Mm. which I played Alan Wake, and that was a very... That game was all about uh, like human interaction with the metaphysical. Which it really does track now that I think about it with everything that you're talking about with control. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting too because his name is Alan Wake. Mm-hmm. A dot Wake. Yep. Jesse is, her last name is Faden. Fade in. Mm-hmm. Max Payne, Payne. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, granted, Max Payne is like, it, it's a very different series compared to these two. <laughs> sure. It's all made by the same company, though, and they don't name their characters just out of thin air. I mean, this is all... Alan Wake is about, you know, becoming awake to these paranatural phenomenon that are around him. And then Control seems like it's all about what happens when man is in control of those phenomena. Sure. Jesse fades in, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. 
But the tit- titular characters from both of these games appear once more within uh, Max Payne, the, the voice actor for him, James McCaffrey, is the one playing Director Trench. He's delivering these monologues, and you probably recognize his voice if I played it for you. Matthew Porreta as Alan Wake, and he plays the role of Casper Darling, and he was also in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, if that mm. you know, means anything. <laughs> Fantastic <to you>. movie. <laughs> <laughs> but you interact with these, with these characters. You never actually meet them within the game, but the story in large part is told through audio and video experiences. Dr. Darling has a special place in my heart because of his funny presentations. He teaches you all you need to know with the charisma, charisma of like a science teacher. And he tells you all about objects of powers, AWEs, and the FBC as a whole, even, too. Control was one of the first games that Remedy Entertainment made wholly outside of Microsoft Game Studios completely. They had full creative control over the final game, which may explain why you haven't heard about it, (laughs) why any of you haven't heard about it at all, because they didn't have the marketing muscle of, say, a big corporation like Microsoft behind it. Friend of the show and self-proclaimed design freak John Kincaid actually introduced me to the game, and he said, if you like Bioshock, you like this. And I did, obviously, or I wouldn't be here talking about it. Remedy is also a Finnish company, so it's possible that some of the designers of this game and I share a common ancestor somewhere. Another reason why I like the game. Um, but this had a three million pound budget in three years, which if you know anything about game development, that's relatively fast and relatively mm-hmm. cheap. Compared to, say, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which had a $250 million budget over the same three years. But then again, you're throwing a lot more people at the problem than you would do it with yeah. you know, a relatively small studio like Remedy. And it's focused on allowing their character to craft their own stories than rather having it force-fed through a complex narrative. Much like, again, Waiting for Godot. It's stripping away everything that isn't important and focusing on core elements. You don't need a grandiose stage design. You just need a tree and a mound in the side of the road. The audio, I think, reflects this approach too. It's relatively minimalist soundtrack with a few notable exceptions to this. And if you played it, you already know. Now you might ask, where the heck did they get this idea? And it's writings from the SCP SCP Foundation that also heavily influenced this. Uh, It's a collaborative fiction board which originally from all places X on 4chan, if you read into it, you'll immediately realize where this game is coming from. You guys familiar with that at all? Oh, yes. Romantically yeah. familiar with SCPs. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. I already sold you on the game. but uh, Well, I used to write SCPs, if you, didn't, if you didn't know that. You made this game that I'm talking about right now, indirectly. Probably not. <laughs> well, I like to think it. Um <laughs> but it's it's influenced once again by general conspiracy theories involving the US government like I mentioned before. Uh, they're always listening to us, man. <laughs> it's kind of like this speculative fiction. It's a story that could exist in our world and us going about our daily lives being none the wiser. And I love those type of games and that particular type of fiction to begin with. And on the technical side of things, for all you uh tech heads out there, NVIDIA literally used this game to show off their new real-time ray tracing abilities, mm. otherwise known as RTX, yep. right, with a newer graphics card. There's particles flying everywhere. Um, ray tracing, if, if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like reflections uh, coming from the windows and bouncing off the, it's, the floor. It's, it's the ability for a processor to realistically Reflect, uh, and right. in real time process light. Light. Uh, 
through both reflections. Yeah, but this is more so like, say I have red light, red light to the right, blue light to the left, where everything is, then there's a mirror behind it. I'll get a mix of overall purple um, with certain splotches of blue and red mixed in there in a realistic way. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's tracing light. Mm-hmm. Ray tracing. Um, the only downside to this is that sometimes my poor console peasant PS4 yeah. will sometimes stutter a little bit when there's a lot going on. I mean, that's it. Well, but you might, you might get it though with the new PS5 coming out. Yeah. Yes. It's all about that ray tracing. <laughs> Thing looks uh, like a goddamn router. I know. I love it. It looks like a, a collared shirt with a pop, you know, pop <laughs> collar. There's plenty of memes. Go look at them. Uh, <laughs> but overall, this game plays extremely well. It has a story that I found to be completely gripping. Extremely gripping. So once you start to get in resonance with its virtual environment, it's hard to stop playing. So give it a try, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Maybe someday you will entertain this. Well, uh, last week I talked about waiting for Godot, so this week uh, it would theoretically be my turn for a uh, quick this. But, as you guys might remember, I already did a quick this this month um, when I filled in for Nick due to the reopening of Universal and Disney theme parks that happened this month, which is great to hear that the world is slowly getting back to normal um, after the events of COVID-19, which is still very active, so please stay safe. Keep social distancing. Keep Six wearing feet. your masks. Exactly. Um, but being a person who likes bringing on guests, uh, as you guys know, and I've mentioned, I did bring Lil Ice, who is on the track, uh, to do yes, our... Yes, I'm 100% on the track. <laughs> he is going to do about 50% of the quick this this week with me, and I will do the other uh, 50% because I want to introduce you guys to a song um, made by... Uh, Little Ice, right here. Here it comes. Uh, and I want to play it for you guys, and you guys give it, give it a nice little listen. We got uh, we got um, Little Ice to give us permission to use this on the podcast, um, yep. and we're going to get to ask him some questions after. So uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, entertaining this, uh, this is his oh, this is his single uh, called Sip It On Lean. So enjoy. Hey. Little ice on the track. Hey. Sipping on lean, sipping on lean, sipping on lean. I just drip my jeans. Lean is in my dreams. My grandma is mean, so I gave her lean. If my parents figure out, I will not have a pee. No, I told her to shut up, so she put it in my cup. 
Now I'm lying on the floor with the cops at my door. Hey, chicken and pop tarts in my bed. I wipe my butt and the paper's red. I go to school and the dogs ain't fed. So my mom just hit me in the head. Hey, spin on lean, spin on lean, spin on lean. Hey, my car is from green. Drinking that purple, just sipping it up. I put rambles in my cup. Young Minty, spin on lean, spin on lean. Hey, if you pull up to my block, you finna get shot. With my Nerf gun, Nico's box. Hey, don't do weed, cause that's for losers. Only do lean while I ride my scooter. Sippin' on lean. Sippin' on lean, yo. Sippin' on lean. Yeah. Alright. <laughs> hey. That was our first music uh, premiere here on Entertain This. That's pretty cool. More like a feature. It was a feature, you're right. Uh, but thank mm-hmm. you for letting us play that. We do have a couple of questions for you if you got time uh, in the studio to answer some quick uh, interview questions. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, well, my first question is, um, in the song you mentioned, Chicken and Pop-Tarts in Your Bed. And I want to know if that, yes. is that is that something that kids your age eat a lot? And why is it in your bed? And is that good? <laughs> you know <laughs> old man alex over here that's a that's a really difficult question you know i was not expecting you to ask me a question that hard Jeez. what does it mean man what does it mean why <laughs> what am i missing why chicken and pop-tarts i know chicken and waffles so, why chicken and pop-tarts yeah so chicken and pop-tarts are one of those things that are not supposed to go together uh-huh <laughs> You know, I don't think I've ever eaten chicken and pop tarts together. I doubt. I know. I don't know anyone who's done that. So it was one of those things. I just threw it in there because it sounds funny. You know, it's You're not right. something I actually did. But You're right. Yeah, that was like That's the number one. In my bet. That was the like the number one thing that was bothering me. I have actual professional questions coming up, but like that was the thing <laughs> that, I to it that I was like, I need okay. this explanation that wasn't a question, first. Huh? I'll okay. allow um, Yeah, and the reason why they're in my bed is because what's what's a better place to eat than in your bed? You know? True. That's the one place I was told to it's, never eat, so that's why I'm like oh, really yeah. confused. We're going to have to agree to disagree there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, my next question is the titular question of what is lean? I imagine it's a liquid is, because you're sipping on it. Come on, bro. You don't right, know that? <laughs> right. Uh, it's Sprite with codeine or cough syrup. Uh, and you only put a little bit of it in there and I never have made lean and I've never drank lean. Just letting you guys know that was mm. for a joke and it was fake lean in the video. We actually <laughs> spent the time making fake lean. Isn't that and, just like, um, isn't that just like grape Kool-Aid? That's grape drink. You know, it's different. I, I don't know. I've never tasted it. Yeah. I bet it's disgusting, but you know, lean is one of those things. It's like a symbol of SoundCloud rappers. Mm. Like a lot of them use lean uh, to like flex. I guess they're like, you know, I'm, I'm drinking lean everywhere. You know, I don't. It's something that people use. A yeah, lot it's like SoundCloud, like so. to fit in with the culture. There you go. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And me and Dale said to ourselves, let's make a video and a song to like kind of make fun of the SoundCloud culture and add it to SoundCloud, you know? Okay. And uh, that's kind of what we chose. And yeah, lean, lean's pretty gross. That kind of rolls me, to make fun of. that kind of rolls me into my next question, which is, would you consider yourself a SoundCloud rapper or would you say that you're a parody on SoundCloud rapping? Um, 
both. Ooh, yeah, I like one that of those now. things. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Though, like, would you say that you started mm. out as a parody and then like came into being like legitimately involved in the SoundCloud rap community, or um, was it always a goal to break into this community? Um, I, I actually, I think the very first thing I did was uh, put things on Spotify uh, or not Spotify, uh, SoundCloud. You know, I'm. I used to have a little band, a little group called Toby Four Fifty One. Okay. And I'm not really gonna get into that. That's for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Love the name. But uh, yeah, well, okay. It had to do with Toby McGuire. Mm-hmm. We're moving on. And, uh, <laughs> that's enough. You've won our hearts so, and minds. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough of that one. And, and four, um, Fahrenheit Four Fifty One, right? Is that what you're about to say? What was that? Oh, Fahrenheit Four Fifty One. Okay, yeah. I'm. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you guys now. We're we're far enough into it. Um, Toby McGuire was kind of me and my friends, uh, not Dale. This is completely separate from Dale. He, he was kind of like our, our idol for some reason. And it was kind of, his <laughs> I believe so... Dale is young Minty for clarification, right? Mm-hmm. There you yes. Go. Dale is young you Minty. Young Minty. Yeah. And so I did this collaboration with this one guy for Toby 451. We were reading Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 451 in English. So we threw that number and Toby Maguire together, and we made Toby Maguire songs, and that's where that is. <laughs> that's amazing. I have so so much more indeed. interest in that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you guys don't get to hear the Toby Four Fifty One songs. Oh, those are exclusive. Horrible. We'll cut that those part are out. Very exclu- those are family only. Um, and so I already had those on SoundCloud. So then I took the songs that me and Young Minty made and we put those on SoundCloud mm-hmm. uh, kind of since I was already using that. Uh, and then we made them to kind of mock the interface after I was actually using it. So All right. That's the, that's the story. That's, that's the background. Thanks for the scoop. Nick, I think, yeah. that, I think that you might have some questions as well. I didn't write anything down, uh, admittedly. but. Um... I am curious as to why you gave your grandma a lean. <laughs> that was a really horrible decision. <laughs> I believe contextually within the lyrics of the song, it explains that answer to you, Nick. And it's because, and I quote, she told him to shut up, so she he put it in her cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Grandma took a nice little nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she took a nap. Sipping so, on lean. <laughs> you know this was our very first song i had, I had ever made like yeah. a real song like it's something special time. all of the mm-hmm. it's yeah a good song. all of the yeah. toby 451 songs were a good 30 minutes or not 30 minutes oh, holy song. shit not this one minutes. this one does clock at uh, jazz. a good a good minute and a half um which is a good yeah a so good... it's the first actual like yeah full-length song with co- like a chorus and all that and um yeah i mean the lyrics were awful <laughs> i don't know what i was thinking when i wrote those lyrics but it was at least something to get us started and it's definitely memorable that i had you know blood in the toilet and that i <laughs> gave my grandma lean you know i love it <laughs> yeah 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 dare i say it's humorous i found it humorous yeah, yeah no it's 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 one of those things i the first time i heard it I wasn't sure what to think of you. 
like as a person. It's not a very good first impression. Yeah. <laughs> but from sitting down and talking to you, like one of the things I really appreciate about the song even more is like it really is a good parody of just like how nonsensical a lot of the shit that SoundCloud rappers say is. It's yeah. It's like a really good like play on both the culture as well as the style. Yeah. Which like I, I will applaud you for that. Like that was very well done. Well done. Insert sound Good effect parody. of that applause was... here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the exact point that I was trying to make was uh was yeah, I did it. Yeah. I think I'm that glad to hear it. I think that it's important for our our listeners out there, uh if you enjoyed sipping on lean, I think you'll enjoy it twice as much if you go give it another listen while watching the music video. Uh it's a special treat to see the lyrics so, come to life in front of you. Yeah. Here's another thing I'm going to throw out there. To watch the music video, you either need to directly contact me or I can send you the link. Oh, that's right. Because Young Minty has completely backed out of this. Uh, he does not like the line, I put random pills in my cup anymore, and he does not want this video to exist because he thinks his parents are going to get mad at him for that even being. <laughs> so, the joys of being uh, 15. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. The best part is, also is that like if you don't there, mention that that's what he says, you can you can barely hear what it is he's saying yeah. at that point. It yeah. took well, us like yeah, and fourteen honestly, listens through to get that line. Right. Nobody cares. You know, I I think he's he's freaking out. But it's if a you want to see the video, or if you want to hear the MP3, just let me know. Well, we'll put it in the show. We'll, we'll put the link to the video in the show in the show notes. You can find it there. Okay. Um, yeah. And then okay. that'll take you to the yep. video. Give it a give it a like. Give it a comment. Tell them to entertain this sent you. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. This has probably been my favorite quick this we've ever had. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with that. that. And a very well-informed episode as well. Well done, Nick. Another round of applause sound effect. That's another episode of Entertain This in the Book. Uh, join us next week. We're going to have an awesome guest come in, uh, and we're going to do another guest episode, which, uh, are pretty popular from what I know. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, so join us next week. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye. This episode of Entertain This was written, researched, and hosted by Nick Mustakangas, with commentary from Michael Savoya and Alex Steele. Our intro music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer, with additional music by D33JW. Follow us on all of our social medias linked down in the show notes, and make sure to tune in every Friday for new episodes. Thanks so much for listening.